Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. It is Monday, July 31st. This week will be three months the Hollywood writers have been on strike, nearly a month for the actors. And there's really no end in sight. The two sides aren't even talking unless you count dueling press releases, basically calling each other liars. And Fran Drescher going full Bernie Sanders on the class warfare messaging. Pretty effective rhetoric. The CEOs and labor executives at the studios had a meeting on Friday where, according to my sources, they expressed a desire to restart negotiations. So we'll see what happens there. Behind the scenes in Hollywood, things are getting more urgent. Talent agencies and management companies are firing and furloughing people. Expense budgets have been eliminated. Publicists went public begging SAG-AFTRA to drop the rule against promoting movies so the PR firms will have something to do. Publicists don't seem to understand how strikes work. And on the studio side, the pain is being felt for sure. Sony just pushed most of its big fall movies to 2024. MGM pulled the Zendaya movie Challengers from Venice. Bradley Cooper won't attend that festival to promote his Leonard Bernstein movie. All the others are getting nervous about whether they'll have summer movies for next year. And the award season is really in flux if stars can't promote these Oscar movies. It's pretty ugly. So how did we get here? There have been some big developments lately that impact the shape of the strike and how it might be resolved. Everything from that war of words to the search for a savior to fix this mess. We're going to go into those today with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Today, it's a strike update. And is there any end in sight? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Welcome, Lucas. We are both in L.A. for the first time in months. Long time. Yeah. Good to be back. I know. It is nice to be back. Unfortunately, the Dodgers aren't winning, but that's okay. I have no power at home either, so that's not great. Oh, that's not good either. Luckily, it's only about 95 degrees today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So last we were both in town. The writer's strike was just getting going. Now we are almost three months in. The actors are on strike as well. The war of words has really escalated in Ron Burgundy's words. So I want to get into that because let's talk first. We're going to get into like five areas here that are of concern and things that have been developments over the past month or so. And I want to start with this war of words because I want to know if you think that it is working. Because I think some of the strategies of the guilds are pretty clearly working. And some of them, I think they think are working, 
but aren't actually working at all. And that's the class warfare stuff. The Fran Drescher comments of, you know, how dare they? And these guys are making their millions and millions and, you know, the little guys being crushed. I think that stuff plays on social media and plays for sound bites on TV. But it doesn't actually move the needle in these discussions. And it doesn't actually get these CEOs and the companies to move at all on what they're holding out for. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that there is beyond just riling up their own members, which we know that is the ultimate goal. But do you think that the language and the incendiary rhetoric is actually working? Well, but does does any uh, anything that's not in the room matter, right? Yes. Think, yes. Okay. The stuff that is working is the actual business stuff. Shutting down productions, the WGA literally going production by production and stopping these shows from continuing, that has been effective. I've talked to many executives who are like, we did not anticipate that. If this was like 2007, 2008, stuff would have been allowed to continue going. But now they're able to mobilize and get to these productions at seven in the morning and shut them down. This was before the actors went on strike. And I do think that these interim agreements, and we'll get to that, but giving the rivals of the AMPTP studios the ability to shoot movies and shows when their rivals are shut down, that is working because that is a direct competitor. That is financial pressure that you're putting on these companies. You know, getting up on a soapbox and talking about how Bob Iger makes a lot of money. Like, OK, so what? Tom Cruise makes a lot of money, too. The class warfare stuff has definitely bothered executives. They they feel that it is they're more in the ad hominem attack category. Oh, you have th Their feelings are hurt as they're toasting no, no, white wine on their yachts. Oh, I'm not. I'm just tell, I'm trying to answer your question here. That's the, 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 the only to me, the only real damage it's doing is it's making some of these executives feel kind of crappy and be angry. But I don't think that that's undercutting the cause of the guild. To your point, I think it, it unifies them to have sort of a common enemy. Now, at some point to reach a deal, these people are all going to have to sit across from one another and, and you know, want to make peace. But I don't know that I think it, it's going to hurt them that much that you know, David Zaslav's feelings get hurt or Bob Iger's feelings get hurt or Ted Sarandos' feelings get hurt because these are, you know, they're they're grown-up multi-multi-millionaires. They get that this is all part of the process. And just because it's a little ugly doesn't mean that it's going to impede a deal if and when the time comes. Now, will that hurt relationships down the line when the business gets back up and running? Maybe, but I don't I think, think most, so. But I don't, I don't think, think so either. Do you think Sarah Silverman is going to not work because she's been outspoken against the AMPTP? No, I don't. So then uh, th why do you th why do you think the class warfare stuff isn't working? Because it's just noise. I mean, I, I know why they're doing it. I know why they're Twitter shaming people. I know why they are trying to be the loudest person on social media. You, they want clout. And the more you can stand up for your guild, the more clout you have these days. Great. Do it. I'm not saying don't do it. I just don't think that that stuff has an impact when they are. I mean, these 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 negotiators, their whole job is to ignore that stuff. Their whole job is to specialize in keeping the noise out of the room and just doing the deal that they want to do. And the pressure that you put on the outside, I don't think permeates. Now, the financial pressure and the actual business and the fact that Disney may not have a May summer movie this next year because Deadpool 3 is shut down right now, that's the actual leverage. 
The fact that all of these studios are now contemplating which movies they're going to have to punt into 2024, that's leverage. And the fact that they have this great thing going on in theaters right now with the Barbenheimer phenomenon, and they're going to completely squander it by not having movies in September, October, November, that is the real leverage here. This is one of my least favorite myths that I see a lot of our fellow journalists sharing as though the studios are like actively choosing to just, quote unquote, not come back to the table and squander all this momentum. One, this notion of momentum with movies is total horseshit. Okay. Oh, no, it's not. That's not yes, true. Yes, it at is. All. No, you listen. The number Super, of Mario are- was, Super Mario was a big hit in April. You know what happened after that? Basically, every movie that came out was a bomb. There's nothing on the calendar coming out that was that mattered over the next couple of months, anyways. You weren't gonna have people coming back because they like they went to Barbie, they had a great experience. Ooh, there's a Blue Beetle movie. I'm gonna go see that. That's not how this shit works. No, no, I that I agree. That I agree, but there are movies that people that go to Barbie might be more interested in, and they did see five trailers of movies that they may not have seen. And they had a good, positive experience. These movies, Oppenheimer and Barbie, are both good. They're satisfying. And people are seeing them. That is actually good for momentum. I'm skeptical of the notion of momentum because I think that people show up for big events. They show up for things that they're excited about. And the folks around the marketing teams for Barbie, which you've talked about on the podcast, the marketing around Oppenheimer, it made that whole weekend and those two movies big events. Whether that actually carries over into other movie going, I'm I'm a little bit less skeptical. Well, it but certainly you're, doesn't you're, hurt. But I do think that you're right that the pain, most of these studios are now staring at not having slates next year. And that's a real problem for them. Now, I do think these media companies can probably can still weather it a little better than the average worker because when it comes to their pay TV, it doesn't matter that much and they'll get paid either way with the the fees. They'll be able to collect advertising, especially when more sports come back in the fall. And having reruns of Yellowstone on CBS is cheaper and are probably more profitable for a lot of these companies. Right. So I want to get into the second of the big developments here, and that is these interim agreements. We referenced it before, and that's SAG in particular um, is giving, they're not waivers, they are allowing productions that are not financed by the struck companies to apply for and sign an interim agreement that basically concedes all of the issues that SAG wants in these negotiations. And if productions are willing to sign a deal that says you will pay an 11% increase in wages, you will agree to pay a percentage of success when this movie comes out and all the other things that the Guild wants, you can now make your movie. And those are somewhat controversial because there are actors, I mentioned Sarah Silverman and others who have said, well, why are some people able to work when this whole point of the strike is to shut down all productions? The Guild actually put out a missive last night, basically defending the interim agreements and saying, no, 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 this is these are good for us because they put pressure on these companies the rivals are able to make movies and they're not. And that is good for the guild. And it allows some people to work and to actually make a living during this process. I actually agree with the guild there. I think that these interim agreements are good for their negotiating position. I mean, there's no reason why a company like A24 can't get the next Chris Nolan movie. They are a well-funded $2.5 billion valued 
company. They just don't happen to be a member of the AMPTP. Why couldn't they get a Chris Nolan movie? And that would definitely hurt Universal and Warner Brothers, who would be counting on that. Lionsgate's another one. They're publicly traded. They have a streaming service in Stars, but they're not an AMPTP member, and they could really benefit from this. And you're essentially pitting the smaller studios against the bigger ones to try to get a better deal for the actors. And I think that's smart. It's been really funny to see how talent has responded to this, because I don't think they a lot of them realize how these agreements work. And they think that companies like A24 have agreed to all sorts of terms that the regular studios have not and are, are way more talent friendly, when it's really just they're not members of the AMPTP in that way. And they have basically agreed to buy into whatever the major studios and the guilds a- agree to. Um, and they're getting like a free pass to continue to work. And they seem as these champions of the creative people. But in the meantime, they are signing these interim agreements. So they are paying more. They're they're giving the guilds exactly what they want in the interim. There is language in these interim agreements that says whenever there is a settlement of the AMPTP issues with the guild, we will then adopt whatever they agree. So I don't think A24 is thinking that they will ultimately have to provide some kind of a success metric to these actors. They're saying whatever they agree on, they will adopt. And by the by the time the movie comes out, that's probably going to be in, in effect. But I've talked to a couple independent producers who had movies that were in production and shut down when the actors went on strike. And then when they went back into production, they're like, great, yeah, we can keep this movie going. But all of a sudden, my budget just went way up because I'm paying the cast way more because we just agreed to gigantic fee increases on all these actors. The upside then is that he gets to shoot his movie and not have a total loss for being shut down. Yeah, I don't think you'll see a flood of big budget movies move to those studios, but you will see them be able to continue to produce projects that they can put into the marketplace. And they'll certainly benefit in the interim. I mean, think about this award season. If A24 is allowed to promote its award season movies with stars and the other studios are not, I mean, that's a huge advantage during award season. Yeah, we're all we're going to have a, a talk to me best picture candidate. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So let's go to the third one. Now, you know, you mentioned this briefly. The sad fact for these guilds is that the earnings reports of these companies that are now coming out, which do reflect the period of the writer's strike, not necessarily the actor's strike, um, they're showing that at least in the short term, the strike has actually been pretty good for the business of Netflix and NBC Universal. They are saving money on costs. They have not really taken a hit on revenue, at least not yet. Peacock 
on NBC Universal's balance sheet is now losing $650 million this past quarter. God bless. God bless Peacock. They did get 2 million subscribers out of that. They spent $650 million to get 2 million new subscribers. But this is working. The money is coming off the books. And is that not a good fact for the studios? What's happening is it's helping them in terms of cash. It's really a short-term help because the way the accounting on all of this stuff works is they basically account for something when it comes out. So it's not helping them a lot in terms of the earnings that they report because these projects weren't coming out anyways, but they're not blowing through a bunch of cash because they're not having to spend that to make it right now. And so their free cash flow, especially for a company like Netflix, which which is like just positive in that area, now looks really good. It's going to hurt them next year because it just means that next year or when they get back going, what they'll have to be spending a bunch more cash. Um, and they'll be racing to get things done. And so it's going to make the earnings choppy. I, I, it's, it's like sort of a short-term benefit, but I think Wall Street factors a lot of that in, which is why, you know, when, when Netflix reported earnings, its stock went down, even though the earnings and cash metrics were pretty good and it was related to revenue. Same deal with some of these other companies. We'll see what happens when Disney reports and Warner Brothers Discovery and others. What we see in the earnings reports is that the strike is not damaging them right? It's not leading to big drops in revenue. It doesn't mean that they can't sell advertising. It doesn't mean that they can't sell subscriptions. The the business impact to these companies would come next year. One, when they don't have as much stuff to release. And so they're not bringing in revenue. On the movie side. And I guess on TV as well. And on TV, these companies don't have endless pits or libraries of movies and TV shows, new products. Netflix just seems that way. Well, Netflix can definitely get through the end of the year. But my understanding is that if this strike continues into the fall, you're going to see some big gaps in all these schedules next year. Yeah, HBO's Casey Bloys basically said that. He's like, we're fine through 23, but then 24 is where it gets dicey. And I think that that's probably true, ultimately, with Netflix, with some of these bigger shows. Yeah, they can pump the foreign stuff at us, but Stranger Things is not going to premiere when they thought. You know, there's others that they had planned. NBC Universal got sort of saved, not saved, but a lot of that was from Mario Brothers, their, their profits this quarter in the in the content units so they had other things to lean on um, whereas a netflix only has that streaming business that uh, they really rely on Uh, i just feel like when we see the disney earnings when we see the warner's earnings they are going to benefit from the lack of spending in the past quarter and you know we may even see warners get to profitability on their streaming service because the spending has come down all right my number four topic the villain of the strike Because at one point, we started the strike and there was all this coverage of Netflix and how this was the Netflix strike among the writers. Netflix was the villain. Uh, They had Netflix signs all over town. Then the, you know, Zaslav went on his epic run of bad press where he gave that commencement speech. Uh, He did the tone deaf party at the Cannes Film Festival. He sort of became the villain of the strike in the mirrored sunglasses uh, who was out there trying to cut everyone's deals. He was using this uh, as a positive to get this money off the books. Um, Then Bob Iger basically said, here's as hold my beer, hold my beer and went on CNBC and became the villain of the strike with his comments were blaming the writers for being disruptive, saying that they, you know, they picked the wrong time to do this while he's sitting there in his cashmere sweater vest and at Sun Valley with the billionaires and Iger 
then became the villain of the strike. Do you think now Iger is solidified as the villain of this strike? I think it's a moving target, but for right now, he's absolutely <laughs> villain number one. The Sun Valley interview, at least from a strike and talent relations perspective, could not have gone worse. It, it happened right as the actor strike was was getting going or about to happen. And so Fran Drescher and, and the actors were able to pounce on that. And Amazing. use him as, uh, I don't know, as the Mr. Burns of this scenario, uh, you know, a billionaire mogul who's clearly lost touch with the working class and with his his people. And it was a PR misstep that we are not used to seeing from someone like Bob Iger. Yeah, he's now bringing in his former lieutenants, Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs to help him figure out what to do with the linear networks. You know, I reported that last night. Some say he's leaning on the past to try to solve the future. Others say he's trying to figure things out. And why wouldn't he have his brain trust back with him? All right. The fifth and final topic here is who's going to be the savior? Who is going to step up and be the adult in the room that brings everyone together? Because there's been a lot of chatter about this. We've seen some politicians get into the fray. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, has volunteered his services. If they ask him, he wants to be asked. Don't know how much that would help. Karen Bass, the mayor of L.A., I reported that she's been getting briefed on some of these issues by her Hollywood friends. Jeffrey Katzenberg is her big advisor in Hollywood. There's the agency guys, Brian Lord at CIA, Ari Emanuel at Endeavor. Let's go through them here. Who, who do you think could be a savior? Well, had he not come back, Iger would have been the obvious choice. Right. Out, outsider. How did he not come the back and like bombed his own chances here? And so the closest thing to Iger is a name that you've floated for all sorts of things is Chernin, who, who was very involved the last time. Peter Chernin, who used to run Fox and is now a media investor and sort of one foot in Hollywood, but one foot out of Hollywood and is kind of an, an adult in the room, or at least perceived that way. You need someone who has respect on both sides, who has a lot of experience, who understands the, the business ramifications to the studios, but also has relationships in the talent community, and preferably a third party, because I don't, it just doesn't feel like you're going to get Bob Iger, Ted Sarandos of Netflix, David Zaslav, one of these big moguls to come through and do it. No, they, they're, they're villains. They're villains yeah. here, you know, and it's just gotten too bad. It's not like the old days of Hollywood where Lou Wasserman can get everyone in a room with a whip and like get everyone into shape. Um, all right. So let's do this. Let, we're fan duel here. Let's put odds on some of these figures. Gavin Newsom, thousand to one. I mean, two thousand to one. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the fact that he's got Dee Dee Myers who worked for a little who, who yes, worked for a bit at Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. I saw her at the Barbie premiere. She's still got one foot in the community here. I don't see Gavin Newsom being the one to to figure this out. I agree. I'm, I'm going 1,000 to 1 on Gavin Newsom. Karen Bass, the mayor of L.A., I'm going to say 500 to 1. She does have Jeffrey. She has the most self-interest here to get a deal done because this strike is absolutely killing the high-end L.A. economy. Not killing, but certainly harming the economy locally. And she has the political incentives to get involved here. I don't know, you know, she when she was in Congress, her district encompassed Century uh, Culver City. So she had studios in her district. It's not like she doesn't know these issues. I feel like Karen Bass, if she spends all the time that she's supposed to be spending figuring out homelessness in the city, trying to solve the strike, that that doesn't reflect well upon her. 
Well, yeah. Well, homelessness is not really going well either. All right. These federal mediators, the mediators that have been working with the two sides before the strike, they're still involved. So what do we say on those? 100 to 1? I don't see them being effective. Why do they have better odds than Karen Bass? Because they're in the middle of this and they, they at least have been briefed extensively on both sides and have a familiarity with them. It's not like some outsider parachuting in to say, listen to me, you guys will make a deal. Sure. Okay. We can give them 200 to one. Sure. Okay. And then Brian Lord at CAA and Ari Emanuel at Endeavor. I'm going to go 50 to one on those because it's funny. The agencies have a very complicated stance here because it wasn't that long ago that the Writers Guild was suing the agencies over packaging fees. And the fact that that fight went on for years and the guild succeeded and got the agencies to drop their packaging departments, that left a very bad taste in the mouth of the agents. And it was funny to see Brian Lord of CIA out there walking the picket line with his actor clients. And he wasn't doing that when it was just the Writers Guild on strike. And my thought on that was a yeah, because the Actors Guild didn't sue him. Um, So I don't know that Brian or Ari are going to be the saviors here just because they are sort of conflicted. I could see them helping maybe on the actor's front. And Brian feels a little more likely than Ari just because Ari's got a bunch of other stuff going on and Ari is a little more blunt force and Brian has more of that. He would get him in a room and be like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, really, what the fuck are we doing? And just leave. Brian has the finesse But I do think it's tricky if a bunch of the striking people are your clients. I feel like he has a shot. But one of the things that's been interesting to me here, and I'm sure you've heard the same, is I feel like a lot of agents think that they won't say it out loud, but they think that their clients are being unreasonable. And they're sort of scared to say that. But a lot of the requests they've made of studios will never happen. And they're sort of mad that they're not involving them more and helping to negotiate this because that's what agents and lawyers do for a living. The agents represent the the upper echelon of these guild members. Most of these guild members don't work or work very minimally or have, you know, very, very shady or low-end agents. The agents at the upper level, the big agencies, they've been doing okay. It's not, these are not their issues per se. So I get get why there's a disconnect there. All right. I have like, I know this is sort of a catch-all, but I have entertainment lawyers as 10 to 1. Here. I think that this is going to be a behind the scenes, back channeling, not a big name that parachutes in and says, I am the savior. This is going to be down nitty gritty, whether it's the guys that run these entertainment law firms, you know, you've got the Ziffrin Brittenham guys, you've got the gang tire people, you've got the Sloan offer people, all their, you know, boutique entertainment law firms that represent high end stars and are perceived as the adults in the room. I think that is going to be where we see back channeling happen here. Well, good, because those are your people. You'll be you'll be they are my people. I, I, I came from that world. I know a lot of those people. Okay, so you you know those people better than I do. Who would be if you could pick an attorney or two that you think would be the ones who've got them? Because Ziffrin did it was involved last time, right? He was, but I don't want to talk. I, listen, I am saying this because I know what's going on behind the scenes, and I know there is some back channeling already going on. I don't want to name names because I don't want to out those people. Because once you name them, you put a target on their back, and people start reaching out to them. I will just say that I know. There are some lawyers that are already doing this. Feels like a good bet. 
All right, Lucas, we'll see. We'll do this again and get some updates later. I uh, appreciate the time. Thanks, man. All right, we're back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Craig, it happened, didn't it? You saw Barbie. I did see Barbie and I loved Barbie. You texted me an instant classic. I believe that. I think 10 years from now, people are going to look back and, and look at Barbie and refer to it as a classic. You liked it a lot more than I did. I thought it was fun, but I don't think I would call it a classic. I think the humor in the movie is is tailored for people my age. And I think millennials and Gen Z, this movie resonates harder All than right. for others. Well, that is actually my prediction. today. These numbers on Barbie are insane. It's at almost 800 million after two weekends. And my prediction today, I'm ready to call it, Barbie will be the top grossing movie of the year globally. It will beat Super Mario Brothers, which is at 1.35 billion. Barbie will surpass it by probably by Labor Day. And my guess is it will get to like 1.5. 1.5 would make it a top 10 movie ever, close to it. Yeah, and it'll get into that Top Gun Maverick territory, which is, first of all, it's amazing for Warner Brothers. So congrats to them. Amazing for Mattel. Also amazing for me, considering I have Barbie on my list of movies in our draft for the you year. made a real comeback i we, we thought you were dead to rights you after wrote me Super off. Mario. yeah you wrote me off lucas has mario brothers but for those not following lucas and i did a draft at the beginning of the year on box office and we are coming up on more than halfway done with the year and i had little mermaid fast x guardians 3 barbie and wish the animated Disney movie uh, for Thanksgiving. And we each gave one another a movie. Lucas gave me Oppenheimer. He thought Oppenheimer would bomb. Shockingly, nobody gave the other a Wonka, which was the biggest miss of that draft. I know. Wonk, yeah, we sh- I should have. So Lucas had Mario Brothers. He has Spider-Verse, which is doing well. He had The Flash, which is not doing well. He has Aquaman 2, which is coming out later this year. And he had Mission Impossible, which is not doing great. So... Hopefully none of these late season movies get delayed into next year. We have to figure out what to do on that. Yeah. Um, But I also gave him Hunger Games, which I kind of regretting. I think Hunger Games might actually perform, but uh, we'll see on that. I don't know. I think Barbie is something. It has caught the zeitgeist in a way that Maverick did last summer. And it's just going to play and play and play. And there's very little competition for women coming in the next month or two there's Mm. the meg the shark movie there's ninja turtles for kids there's a blue beetle dc movie that i think is probably for nobody but i think barbie is going to keep performing and performing all summer i think it's become like a like a snapshot of american pop culture in 2023 and everybody wants to see it there's like a cultural fascination almost a kardashian effect not that's not a pejorative because this is done in a much smarter obviously you know much more crafted way but there's just like some sort of guilty pleasure, I think, with this movie of like this combination of, you know, the L.A. lifestyle and celebrity and capitalism. And I really think there's a fascination culturally with this movie. And like most L.A. movies, it's totally realistic. You and I go rollerblading every weekend in Venice. <laughs> we do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I do think there's a looky-loo aspect for foreign audiences who are like want a little bit of a peek at what the reflection of Barbie culture is. I called it the Baywatch effect. I know it's not the same thing, but I I think there's (laughs) bits and pieces of it. And and Ryan Ryan Gosling is the Pam Anderson of this incarnation. We are all Knuff. Oh, please, no Ken. I'm I'm putting a moratorium on Ken puns on this show. All right, that's it. I want to thank our guest today, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horbach, our editor, Jesse Lopez. We will see you later this week. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.